you're listening to a teaching from Sundown Church. We hope you encounter God through our podcast and experience freedom in your life. Uh, If you would go with me to Luke chapter 9, kind of a strange verse in which to begin, but I want to offer this kind of as a word of introduction before I cover that that I really want to talk about tonight, but uh, Luke chapter 9 uh, is, where we'll, is where we'll start, beginning with, beginning with verse 51. It's a, it's a bit of a, of, a, of a strange story kind of dropped into, into the rest of this. Uh, This is, this is Jesus uh, coming into this time of, uh, of his crucifixion. He's headed, he's headed toward Jerusalem. Verse 51. And it came to pass when the time was come that he should be received up, he steadfastly set his face to go to Jerusalem and sent messengers before his face, and they went and entered into a village of the Samaritans to make ready for him. So he goes to to this city in Samaria, says Jesus is coming, and they were going to make all the preparations for for his arrival as he he works his way to Jerusalem. And, And verse 53, And they did not receive him because his face was was as though he would go to Jerusalem. So you could tell that they were a bit insulted that he was only passing through there, but he was actually going to Jerusalem. And we know enough, and I'll cover this a little bit more, that the Jews and the Samaritans did not like each other and hadn't in, in many, many years for lots and lots of reasons. But Jesus was going to stop in a city of Samaria on his way. Verse 54, And when his disciples, James and John, saw this, they said, Lord, wilt thou that we command fire to come down from heaven and consume them as even in the days of Elijah, as Elijah did? So we can recognize in that moment when Jesus was rejected, his disciples, these disciples, went to a place in their mind that was very petty, that was very revengeful, but very, very normal. I don't know any of us that wouldn't have had some version of feeling that way if I'm going into this city and I'm going to tell somebody that Jesus is coming and we'd like to make ready, find a place for him to stay, the food, all that kind of stuff. And they were to say no. I don't care if you were just saying my family's coming into town and they reject your family. There's going to be some of this that the disciples are describing here. But here's Jesus' answer. But he turned and he rebuked them and said, You know not what manner of spirit you have. And the Son of Man is not come to destroy men's lives, but to save them. And they went to another village. Now, what this tells us, 
as, again, as an introduction to this, I'm going to talk a lot more about Samaria. But what we understand is going on here is that Jesus knew the great work where he was headed. He wasn't confused. He wasn't uncertain about his purpose, his direction. He wasn't confused about the outcome. So when I began to think of this, and again, I don't want to over-spiritualize it, but there's something very real that hit me. That you and I, knowing that God has a great spiritual work, not only for this body, but for us individually. There's no small story. There's no small purpose that for every one of us, we are, we are a part of a, of a huge, divinely written story. And when we, when we finally understand the nature of what he's doing in us, doing through us, and doing by us, even doing for us, when we begin to get a grasp of the enormity of that, the, what he's asking us in this story, the illustration he's giving, is never let your mind be... be Never let your mind yield to petty things. Never become distracted by petty things that get elevated very quickly because the fact that this city said no to him was huge to his disciples and insignificant to him. He knew what he was doing. He knew the outcome was going to Jerusalem. And when you get focused in ministry on the fact that it's a big story, it is a divinely written and inspired story, and we get our, we get our mind on that, then we have our, the, the major part of our mind, that part that doesn't major on the minor things, that other part of our brain begins to be very focused on those things that God has, that God has instructed. We can, we can become very fixed on obedience. But if we let our mind go to this lower and more and, and petty version, we will respond like the disciples instead of like Jesus did. Jesus said, you lost sight of what I've come to do. You lost sight that I've come to seek and to save that which is lost. You lost sight by your answer, the spirit that caused you to answer that way. You lost sight of my great mission. You lost sight of my great purpose. Or you would not have responded. You want us to call fire down from heaven and destroy this city. Again, all of us have the potential of responding exactly the way the disciples did. That didn't go like I wanted it to go. Every one of us can personally be affected, be offended, brought into petty things in a second because somebody didn't respond the way we wanted them to respond. I waved, they didn't wave back. I spoke, they didn't speak back. We all have the potential in those moments of, take, of going into something very petty and losing sight of the great mission he's doing through us. So this is, this is where I would like to begin. I, I, I think of it, it, I, it came here because of this, the significance of Samaria in the story we're going to talk about. So now I'd like for you, if you would, go with me 
to John chapter 4. I heard portions of this message and I will, I will, you know, I don't want everybody to believe that everything I get is just between me and the Holy Spirit. Though it is, sometimes it comes by somebody else's voice. It's still him. He still inspires it, still anoints it. But I, but I have to learn as well. So, you know, some of this I have been taught as well. I want to begin reading in verse 1, John chapter 4, verse 1. When therefore the Lord knew how the Pharisees had heard that Jesus made and baptized more disciples than John, so again, they're growing more concerned now, though Jesus himself baptized not but his disciples, he left Judea and departed again into Galilee and he must needs go through Samaria. Now, what's coming next again, we know this very well, is his encounter with the woman at the well. And like we talked about on Sunday morning when, when it was very plain that Jesus, hearing in this, in this passage, when he tells his disciples, let us go over to the other side. He was on one side of the Sea of Galilee, and he said, let us go over to the other side. We, we understand pretty well that it was very likely that he had already heard the cries of, the, of this man that was possessed by these demons, and that he, he, had, he, he knew he was going for a divine appointment. He knew that he was leaving Capernaum again, we talked about Sunday morning, Capernaum, the village of comfort, that he was leaving there, going to have to deal with a storm between him and the appointment, but he knew he was going for a divine encounter. He had already seen what he was going to do. I believe here he already knew he was going to meet this woman. I believe he already understood the Father had already shown him this moment. He was simply now responding in obedience. And he said it was necessary that he go through Samaria. So we understand at least one aspect of why it was necessary that he go through Samaria because he had an encounter that he, where he needed to go. He must needs go through Samaria. Again, I think this is a remarkable statement that, he, that he, he must needs go through Samaria, I think it represents much more than the historical and the geographical and the political and the social struggle between the Jews and the Samaritans of that day. The road through Samaria certainly was the shortest uh, from Jerusalem to Galilee, but the religious Jews avoided it because of the deep distrust between them and the Samaritans. When the, when the Babylonians conquered the southern kingdom of Judah, they took almost all of the population captive and carried them into Babylon. All they left behind were the lowest class of society because they didn't want to take them. They didn't want their area populated by those who lived in poverty, 
criminals, anybody else that they could leave behind, they left behind. They didn't want to take them captive because they knew that they were getting the lowest class of society. Those that were left behind began to intermarry. And in that intermarrying with non-Jewish people who slowly filled in that region, the Samaritans emerged as, that, as the ethnic and the religious group. So when the Jews began to come back, they look with all everything despicable at these Jews that had intermarried and now the religion that they were practicing was a strange mix of Jewish ritual, trying to follow Jewish law, worshiping the God of Israel, but they had mixed a lot of stuff in with it. They had mixed a lot of the stuff that had come from the people that they had intermarried. It had all blended into, this, into superstitions. It had blended into uh, what how the Jews saw them, the Jews saw them as religious half-breeds, uh, almost mongrels because of, because of how that intermarried. The Samaritans built their own temple to God and later the Jews burned it down. So once again, you can't find really anything that says this that the relationship was getting any better. These were people that actually genuinely hated, them, hated each other. When uh, the Jews were prospering, uh, the Samaritans called themselves Jews. When the Jews were in captivity and other things, the Samaritans would call themselves by another name to disassociate themselves. So they were, they were really all over the board. So... I want us to stop knowing that history, knowing a little bit about the culture and the society of the day. I want us to stop and consider a spiritual, mental, and emotional uh, significance to this statement, he must needs go through Samaria. If Again, I, I don't want I don't want to over-spiritualize a simple statement, but I don't think I ever realized the nature of the statement because Samaria in the picture represents everything we try to avoid and still do the work of God. And the message here is if you're going to go to Jerusalem, if you're going to, work in, to, to walk in obedience, if you're going to minister in power, if you're going to release truth, if you're going to reveal by our lives the, the, the reality of a loving and saving Christ, you're going to have to walk through those places that you have always avoided. Or you're not going. Religion said go around. Avoid the places that you would expect to avoid. Relationship said, nope, I have to go through 
the things that I would typically avoid. Again, it happens on, a, on several levels in this story, and we're going to talk about some of those levels. But one of the things is that Jesus understood that there was somebody in that area that everybody else was avoiding that he needed to talk to. There was somebody that if, if I avoid the place where everybody's telling me to avoid, then I can't talk to the one person under whose appointment I'm, I'm, I'm going. Well, I tell you that for you and I today, we don't consider it really in these terms, but the majority of the Christian world has carved out huge areas of, of, of territory that they have been taught to avoid. And, and this is saying, I must need go into those places that I have been taught are scared and have avoided. And we're, we're learning a powerful lesson out of this. It, at least it taught me a powerful lesson that Samaria is in all things that area that you and I would typically avoid. Samaria represents much of what hinders the great moves of God in us and through us. When my mind began to, to spin around this, it explains so much, at least to me. I, you can draw your own conclusions. But it explains so much to me why, why religion is so ineffective. Because religion has carved in a section where you, where you go and huge areas that you avoid. And, and Jesus, when we read about Jesus, we see him breaking them down. Because religion of the Pharisees said, stay away from the taxpayer's house. That's a place you avoid. You don't, you don't go to Zacchaeus' house. You don't go to Matthew's house. They're tax collectors. You don't go there. You don't go to the places where the people are sick. We avoid those. But relationships said, I have to go to the places where that religion has carved out. Or, or there will be no great move. There will be no great work. There will be no great healing. There will be no great transformation if we follow this line that says, this is what we accept and this is what we avoid and we're not going there. And Jesus, by this example, says, like he did to Peter, be very, very careful, Peter, when you say you won't go into that Gentile's house because you carved out the Gentiles. And Jesus addresses him. The Holy Spirit addresses him when he says, when, when, he, when he says, not so, Lord. The Lord said yes, and Peter's answer was not so. Why did he say not so? Because he had carved out, he was not willing to go to the place where they had been taught to avoid. So I want to look at just a few situations about what causes us uh, to go into these areas. And when I, when I was listening to this, the, the pastor did a, that was teaching did a very good job of, of saying uh, it's interesting that he uses the word Samaria because he made this connection. He says most of us have some area that we've been taught to avoid. 
It was just interesting play on words. But he said, we've got to deal with those areas that have caused us to not be able to do the work, the full work that God has for us. We too must go through those areas, both personal and collective, corporate, that have been determined off limits and unclean. There were people in Samaria that needed to hear what Jesus was preaching, teaching. They needed to see what Jesus was demonstrating. There was an appointment with a woman at a well that Jesus had already seen and knew he was supposed to encounter, so he was going. Now, Jesus at, at different times has told his disciples to a, avoid Samaria. Because he knew he, he had come first to the Jews. He knew that his purpose, but, but his great purpose was not going to be accomplished if he excluded Samaria. So he wasn't concentrated on this area. He didn't go camp and live in Samaria. But he also would not avoid it. I, I, I put this down. I have three bullets here that I want to give you about, about areas of avoidance. And my suspicion is, if you think about this very long, there's some that we could certainly add as well. I, I, I put this back down. Because the Samaritans had a historical connection to the people of Israel, their faith was a combination of commands and rituals from the law of Moses put together with various superstitions. And so, because of that, they said, we're going to avoid that. I, 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 don't, I don't know how to fully describe this, except... I have been asked in the past, instead of coming here and taking a group of people who were, who, were, who were beginning to break out of some things, but who were still 12 years ago largely Baptist, still religious, a mixture of truth with tradition a mixture of truth with, with history, this, this mixture uh, of false teaching, a mixture of truth with historical inaccuracy. And I, I, I would get asked, wouldn't it have just been easier to do what everybody else does and go start another church? Just write off religion. Just write off this traditional stuff. Wouldn't it have been easier to just say, I don't want to mess with that and go start something brand new? Well, God didn't call me to that. He called me into a place who had this mixture of truth, and it was an emerging truth, but it was a, still a mixture of truth with tradition, a mixture of truth with, with old practice. There was, you know, of, of, in the large area that was being avoided primarily was the teaching of the Holy Spirit. Because the, the pattern of the day is not to go into a church and teach people, it's to 
to take yourself out of that and just go start a new church. Start new churches week after week in the area in Lubbock. Just start a new one. And God said, no, I want you to go to the place that everybody else is avoiding. I want you to go and speak truth. I want you to go speak in a place of tradition, this mixture, because I have not given up. I will not give up simply because, like the Samaritans, there was a partial truth mixed with things that men had brought in. You had a mixture of the truth of God with the, with the, the teachings of men, had this mix in Samaria. Well, you have that same mix in most churches. And God says, I will not write off those people. The place, strangely, where much of the Christian world is avoiding now, the place of, that has always just been deemed religious, God is saying, nope, they are as willing to receive truth as anybody else. Don't write them off. There's a, again, there's a strong recognition in me, and I suspect in you that one area that stands between us and greater missions, greater message, is that we must pass through those areas where true faith in God has been mixed with a great deal of this other stuff. Religion. But we don't have the privilege. We were not given permission to avoid, to avoid them but must recognize that just like Jesus did to the Samaritans, that the, the world that, that most have deemed religious still have to be liberated as well. We've carved out much of those who are religious. But I love watching those who have been faithfully religious in this strange mix of truth and in, in, in the teaching of men, I love watching them emerge out of it. I can name them, so many, so many here, so many in Bible studies in the past, so many that I'm visiting with now, beginning to emerge out of those things that they had once believed to understand something that they'd never seen before. And I have, again, I have the privilege of doing it often. The second area that Samaria represents, so one area is religion in this strange dilution of truth and deception. The second area that when I stepped back away from this and saw that we, that, that we have to encounter, that some area in our life that we have to deal with, the Samaria also represents those personal areas that stand in our way. These are likely places that you hate and that you would rather totally avoid some of these places are compromise that you made somewhere in the past, moments of embarrassment, moments of shame, moments of regret, or even sometimes, and we'll talk about this more, simply change that you don't want to occur. But there are many of us who have areas behind us and because of those areas behind us, 
we have carved out things from our future because we feel like we're disqualified from the things of our past. Again, I, I deal with this strangely more than, more than I would believe. That Christians today, some of them, having been Christians for a long time, have something in their past that they believe disqualifies them from having a voice now. As a matter of fact, of the people that I visit with, I could line those people up. They believe that something back there behind them, some indiscretion, something that they've done, some story that's in their past that is embarrassing that they don't want to talk about, some shame that they still carry, some guilt that is still in their story, and because of that, they have, they have reduced themselves and said, I can't do all that God would have me to do because I live under this brokenness. And God is telling us, if you're not willing to walk through that area that you've been avoiding, you, will, you cannot fulfill all that I have intended for you. Again, I, I would not dare tell a name of this person, but for me to sit down at a table with a person and her, and her, her, her story to tell me, that she had, was guilty for something she had done 23 years earlier and had lived under that guilt for 23 years. And I told her, we're not leaving this table until that's gone. I can't stand for you to live another day under guilt that could have been released and should have been, it should have been removed day one. 23 years of this. Do you think that that had created for her areas of her life that she was avoiding, that she felt disqualified from, and in the, in the matter of less than an hour, she had walked through that shame and was on the other side. But she was, had never been willing or even taught that she could walk through the shame that had disqualified her. And there's so many in the Christian world who have some story behind them, some embarrassment behind them, and they will not walk through it to find the freedom that God has for them on the other side. They have avoided this area because of the shame, because of the guilt, because of, of, of ridicule, or because of embarrassment, and they've avoided and God's saying, but you cannot walk in the fullness of all that I have in front of you. You can't walk in the freedom. You can't demonstrate the power. You can't move with, with, without any reserve or question if you have this thing that you're dragging behind you. Or, or maybe a better picture that you're, trying, that you're pushing out in front of you. You've got to walk through that to find the freedom. And it's such a good picture of Moses and the children of Israel standing at the Red Sea. And they see in front of them something that is so insurmountable, a problem so huge. And God says, but with me, I will make a way through that which would normally stop you. 
And when we have those things in our life, those things in our past that we have let stop us from being fully, under, fully forgiven, fully righteous, fully understanding the truth. I sat there and I talked to this woman and I, and I drew her a picture of righteousness, what righteousness really looks like. And she says, why in the world have I never heard that in my life? And she's been in church Sunday after Sunday after Sunday. Never understood what righteousness really means and what it really did for me. And she left that table with that gone. The only sad part of that story is that it was 23 years after, that it could have been on day one. And then to watch her then and now walk in the freedom because there were other things she needed to walk through, other things. But when you realize, I can walk through this and I can find victory on the other side of it, then whatever comes up in front of me, it's like I'm now I'm prepared. I, I, I know what it takes to walk through my past, through old shame and old hurt. If there's, a, if there's something else, if I walk through it once and found the victory on the other side, it makes me anxious to walk through the next one as God shows me what they are. So a lot of us have carved out areas that we avoid because they were embarrassing moments, shameful moments, hurtful moments. And, but if we don't walk through them, understand how, the, how necessary it is that we can't keep walking around this old hurt. We can't keep walking around this old shame. I can't keep avoiding this guilt. When God says, I have given you the provision to walk through it. The third area that I, that I mentioned briefly Samaria can also represent areas of our lives where change occurred that we did not want. These are often areas where we've doubted and like we talked Sunday morning, simply reduced what we expected God to be able to do because we did not want or understand the change that had occurred. These are, uh, this, one, this one is a little bit harder to explain, at least the way it came up in my head. Uh, one of the best examples that I can give, I think, is that I love raising kids. I loved every step of our, of our kids growing up. I loved it when they were little. I loved it when they were getting into t-ball and into, in, into elementary. I love raising kids. I love having other kids around. I just loved it. I was not as excited about the day when we packed Jay up and sent him to Portland, Oregon. You see, that was a change that was necessary, but I didn't want. When I came back into his bedroom, he had already been to tech. He had already finished his master's. He had already been to internships in Colorado. He had already been to Italy and all over Europe. But when he moved, school was over and he moved to Portland, I walked in that bedroom and I didn't think I was going to get another breath. 
because something had changed in our relationship. And it was a change that I didn't want. And unfortunately, so many of us get hung right there in the change we didn't want. It, and, and it won't find its answer. And I'm not even talking about change that's harmful. I'm even talking about change that's necessary. I can, I can give you a, a real-world example. Uh, there were people who, when they heard my name as the, as the candidate to become pastor here, were not willing to go with that change. And they made it very clear that they weren't willing to go with that change. So what, they, what they're saying, and I'm not criticizing them for it, they, that, that's their privilege, but what they're criticizing saying, this is a change I don't want, and because I don't want it, whether it was God or not, I'm going to avoid it. They didn't walk through it. They didn't stay. They didn't encounter it. They didn't see. They didn't, they didn't proceed through they avoided, they created a whole area of avoidance because a change occurred they didn't want. Even though it was of God and was described that way and told that way, they didn't want the change even when God was in the middle of it. And there's so much. You know, I, 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 I tell this pretty often that we'll start a Bible study in Lubbock with 60 and by the time we get through the eight weeks or ten weeks that it is, we'll be down to 25. Because in the teaching, they're being offered something that's different than what they have always heard and always known. And so what they've already known has carved out huge areas of stuff they will not hear. And again, some of them are pretty demonstrative in their telling me that I don't know what I'm talking about. And, I'm, and I tell them from the beginning, I'll have them stand up and, and hold up their right hand and repeat after me. I do so solemnly swear that I will not believe a thing that Randy says until the Holy Spirit tells me it's true. I don't want them to believe me. I give them all the, the wide berth to just totally disagree with me until the Holy Spirit tells them it's true. That I want them to believe. But still, even saying that, you know, I, I, you know, I've been told, I'm not coming back. You, you, you have gone too far. I'm t I, you, you stress the Holy Spirit way too much. You talk about the Holy Spirit too much. You, you believe in the supernatural, and I believe the supernatural is gone. What have they, what have they just done? I, I believe the supernatural is finished. I don't believe God does that anymore. What they just do? They, they carved out a whole area that they're going to avoid instead of walking through it. You see, sometimes change comes, and the change that comes, even if it's of God, causes us to carve out huge areas that we refuse to walk through. And it's not even unusual. Again, it was what Dale told us when he first came. It's not hard to teach people. It's hard to unlearn them. Because that what they have already learned has carved out huge areas of stuff I don't want to hear. Don't talk to me about that. 
Don't try to tell me. And I, I use this illustration back there because it was told me this way. I thought it was such a good illustration. This guy that I know was sitting with a friend and asking, what is the greatest gift we've ever been given? Good answer. The guy, the guy said, which is perfectly true, he said, it's Jesus. Yeah, exactly right. He said, well, he said, well, let me ask you this question. Let me set it up this way. He said, let's just imagine that you're in a desert. And somewhere along the trip, you're, you're, you're out of water, but also somewhere along the trip, a camel has uh, used your cup for a bathroom. And it's filthy. And somebody comes and joins your caravan and says, I can, I'll take care of that cup. I'll clean that, I'll clean that cup for you. And they do a remarkable job of cleaning the cup. He said, are you, are you, are you completely satisfied now that, you're, now that you are desperately thirsty? Are you completely satisfied with a clean cup? He said, no. And my friend asked him, well, what, is, what, what does it need? It needs to be filled. Oh. So the great gift is more than a clean cup. It's a clean cup and a filled cup. That's the great gift. One, clean the cup. But even Jesus said it. When he, when he said in John 16, I think it's like in verse 7, you're talking, about, you're talking about a change that they didn't want. He says, it's necessary that I go away. Why do you think their response would be, his disciples would be, we left everything. We walked away from our jobs. We laid down our lives. We have been away from our families following you, and now you're going away? You think that's the change they wanted? He says, it's expedient that I go away. Because he knew something about his going away that they could not process. They could not consider. He knew that right now he could be with them. But he knew if he went away, he could be in them. He knew the value of the change. And they didn't want it. But they took it. And they saw the transforming power of the change that could occur. But he tells them, it's expedient that I go away. It's necessary that I leave you. Man, I, you know, when we, when we begin to understand this, we begin to understand the magnitude. What would have happened if they would have gotten so upset at that point? And they almost did. They almost got so affected by the moment and so discouraged by the cross that they were hiding in this upper room. But when, when the Holy Spirit showed up, they were willing to walk through then what they had been avoiding. You and I today, very, very ready, very, very prepared 
very, very aware that that which we have avoided, we will and can and powerfully walk through. We won't do it if we don't understand the grace of God that, that awaits us because the embarrassment and humiliation will still control us. But he's saying, if I come back in the, in the spirit, I will come and I'll fill that cup. And now you won't, it won't just be me. There will be millions of me on the face of the earth. He knew the, he knew the change and he knew the necessity of it. So Samaria is a big deal. What's the areas? What's, the, what's that some area? Because very few of us could say, nope, I have no areas. Very few of us could say, even in, even in mature faith, that there's not some areas that I, that I avoid that I just don't walk through easily. And when God says, I want to do a powerful work, he's also going to show us the some areas of our life for us to walk through to find the victory on the other side. Comments? Most people, these areas that they've avoided, they don't even want to think about it. God's, God, in this, brought it back to me and said, and, and, and really, I've been in it all day. You know, Randy, what are the areas that you are avoiding? And he has shown me a few small ones, but I don't think he's through pointing out. Because, again, these are areas that we dismiss. These are areas that we've just kind of, we put off to the side because we're so natural. The Jews approaching Samaria, they weren't contemplating, do we go through this time? No, they would make the long journey around to get to Jerusalem just to avoid that. They weren't having a decision. It was so in their mindset, I'm going to avoid Samaria, I'm going around. Well, so many of the things that we have that are in our way, we have become so practiced at going around until God shows us what that area is, we're just going to keep going around. That's normal life. Go around it. Just go around it. God's saying, no, I'll show you. If you'll ask me, I'll show you the areas that you're avoiding because I want you to experience the victory as you go through. Father, thank you tonight for, for, for bringing this picture and bringing this reality of Samaria. It stands for so much, and I feel like even Father tonight that I've only scratched the surface of what all of this means in proportion to this statement that it was necessary that you needs go through Samaria. You had a divine encounter with a woman. There was an evangelist in her that needed to be released that she would become a preacher, she would become a teacher, she would bring her village to you at the well because she came in her sin, she came in her rejection, and she left having the living water to carry with her. And she brought it to her village, and they came, and they met you. You needed an evangelist, and, and there was a divine appointment for this woman that she would become a mouthpiece a, a, a message and a mystery for you to, that, to those people. And they came and they heard for themselves and they believed for themselves because they saw you.
So thank you, Father. We know, what the, we know where this story is going, and we can thank you that you saw something specific in the area that other people were avoiding. Let us have that same sight. Let us see in people's lives, people that other people would avoid, let us see in them what you see and take advantage of the divine encounter that you have planned. Just don't let us avoid them because we've been taught to avoid them. Father, thank you that you bring the reality of Samaria in so many ways, in places of guilt and shame and regret, or even places of change that we didn't want, that we, we walked around because we didn't want or could, couldn't see what you were doing. Help us to recognize those areas that we've avoided. So thank you, Father. Just thank you, Father, that you, have, that you show us what you show us and that we can walk in this truth, walk in this revelation. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for listening to this message. For more resources, visit sundownchurch.com.